Good afternoon and welcome. I think I sort of got deserted here. I was asked to take care of not only preach but the whole service. So anyway, basically the only announcement we had for you was for Bible reading and prayer tomorrow. Um, please bring your favorite verse or verses. So that's what I was told to tell you. So I'll let you take care of that. I don't know. I probably have to admit that in the things I do at Bible school that possibly preaching a prayer and fasting message isn't exactly on my top of things to get excited about, possibly. Um, I wasn't sure if maybe the only thing worse than being a captive audience is to preach to a captive audience. And then I wasn't sure maybe if that captive audience is hungry and wishing they were doing something else, it maybe adds a degree to it. I don't know. But thanks for being here. In this service, and also in the Bible school, I just want to tell you, Bible school is sort of a year-round thing for me in some ways, and I'm glad for these three weeks that bear fruit. So I want to just say thank you to each one of you for the role that you have. And Tim, I really wouldn't mind talking a little quieter if you don't mind. Um, so just the question that started in my mind is, why pray? Why fast? Why pray and why fast? At this point in Bible school, it's a little stressful preaching and teaching to you fellows and you girls because you've heard so much, you've been told so much that it feels like, to me, I'm probably wrong in my view, but it feels like to try to cram any more knowledge or information into you is a little bit like trying to pour water in a cup that's running over already likely and I don't really want you to lose what you already have so maybe rather than try to do that I'm going to basically tell you some life stories one thing I've noticed really enjoyed the mission conference that we've had I enjoyed the meeting last night looking forward to the rest of this week but a lot of times it's easy for me to think that God is working more somewhere else do you have that problem uh, maybe he works great in Kenya, heard last night in um, Iraq when ISIS is doing things. We seem to, I seem to think that God is at work there, and you know, it's amazing the things, and I love those stories, and I'm happy for those stories, don't get me wrong. At the same time, is God working in Missouri, in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in Oregon, in Arkansas, of all places? I'd like for you to decide. Okay, uh, start with story number one. When I was about six years old, I was born in South America, Paraguay. We still live there. And we hiked or walked over to our next door neighbor, which was, oh, distances get smaller as I get older, but I'm going to say it was somewhere between a quarter to half a mile across the pasture. And cows in Paraguay are a bit different from what I find cows to be in Arkansas. Maybe wild is the term, almost a wild animal. Uh, a lot of zebu cross for those that are into cattle, Brahma. And these things are mean. I mean, I've seen them get so mad that they would actually go berserk. Uh, it's not just chasing your Hereford down the, uh, rounding up your Herefords. It, it's a major undertaking. So we had some of these cross cattle in this pasture. Normally, if you stayed away from them, they stayed away from you. But in this walk, as a six-year-old boy coming back, I had uh, two younger sisters at that point. So mom, I, and the two younger sisters had been over visiting this neighbor, and we were coming back home, and there was this group of calves, and uh, 
One of my heroes, I guess you could say, as a very young boy was these cowboys. You know, it's fun watching them ride their horse in Paraguay. Poncho's a little different from what you think of as a cowboy, but similar. So I wanted to chase these calves, and my mom didn't see much harm in me getting a stick and chasing these calves. So I, uh, I commenced chasing these calves down across the pasture along the fence and herding them up into the one corner. And I had got, I was, I don't know, I'd, I'd gone a lot faster and further than what the rest had, so I'd got quite a ways ahead of mom and my sisters. And I was having fun the time of my life chasing these calves. And I still don't know uh, why I look back, but I look back and uh, coming very interestedly was one of the mama cows, uh, and she was coming fast. And I was right next to a fence, so I crawled through that fence and nothing happened. What was odd about the situation, what I've thought about since, is as I look back, I not only saw the mother cow coming for me, I saw my mother and my sisters huddled there in fear and fright praying. Now, being a boy, I don't know, you guys, you ever feel like your mom sort of overreacts to situations? Uh, I did, I still do sometimes, possibly. I thought she'd sort of overreacted. I mean, nothing happened. What was the big deal? That said, I have since thought, you know what caused me to look back? Just such a simple thing as looking back over my shoulder made a big difference in that day, likely, and how that day ended up for my family, or for me especially. So there's four things I'd like to consider as we try to see God at work, wherever God has placed you. You know, if God opens those doors for you to go to another country, I'm not saying don't walk through, but what I'm suggesting is that you try to see God at work right here, right now. And I'm going to give you some instances of where I feel I have been privileged to see God at work. Okay, so let's look at these points quickly. Um, Four things to remember if you want to see God at work. So the first part of it is a question. What is the greatest potential hindrance to God's work? Now, if you've been in one of my classes, likely you have a bit of a jump on some of these. But what is the greatest potential hindrance to God's work around me? Anyone want to tell me? False Christians? Okay, definitely a big danger. But I'd like to say there's even one bigger. Can anybody, even if you're in my class, pipe up what it would be the one biggest potential hindrance to God's work? Myself. Thank you. It's not saying that I single-handedly can derail God's work. That's not what I'm saying. But in my experience, as I live my life, the one person that holds the key as to whether God's work will be built up or destroyed in my life is myself. Nobody else has that power. Let me just read these verses to you. Actually, let's stand, and I'll read. You don't have to necessarily get your Bibles. Listen closely. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Can any of those things really take God out of your life? He says no. No. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Even in all these things, you have the potential to win a victory through him that loved us. For I am, Paul says, and I also would like to say I seek to be. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate me from God but my personal choice. Nothing. Remember that. If you want to see God work, the only thing that can hinder God's work in your life, and I absolutely believe this, is you yourself. Nothing else can hinder God's work in your life to that extent. Okay, second question for you. Uh, Let's just remain standing for this part. Is God's focus on time or eternity? Anyone? Is God's focus on time or eternity? By saying focus, I'm not saying he doesn't know about the one or that he doesn't care about it, but which is his, where does his goal, where's the culmination of his work rest? Eternity. Thank you. You know, for myself, so very often, I get rather wrapped up with time. Some years ago, a visiting preacher at our church preached about the 100-year view. And you know, as I make my decisions, if I would just always bring up in 100 years from now, how would this affect? And a lot of the things I'm doing really have very little value in 100 years from now. God's focus is on eternity. That's the culmination of his work. And the next one of the verses I'll read tie together. So while God cares about all things in all of our lives, which does he desire most or count most important? Our physical, how I feel that I have enough to eat, that I have enough to wear. My mental and emotional, that I feel love and acceptance. Or my spiritual, that I'm right with him. Which of those is of greater importance in God's eyes? Anyone? Spiritual. Again, listen to these verses, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 11, and then 7 and 18. Paul talking about what he faced in life. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That life also of Jesus might be made manifest or shown in our, my body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest or shown in our mortal flesh. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or of time, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You may be seated. Always remember, it's not that God doesn't care about time. It's not that he doesn't care about physical, about our emotional and mental. But far more important to him is where will you, where will I be in eternity? Far more important to him is our spiritual state than our currently, whether we're a little bit hungry, a little bit thin, a little bit round, whatever it would be. Okay, then one last one. On this point, what is God's preferred way of working? It'd be interesting to know how many of you read through the Bible. But if you go through the Bible and you make a list of all the times that God showed himself to man, would you say God works in big ways or small ways most of the time? Does he work in loud or uh, maybe loud isn't really what I... 
explosive ways or does he work in quiet ways most of the time? We know he's capable of both, but which would you say covers the majority of his actions with mankind? Thank you. Small and quiet. It's not that God can't do the other, not at all. But usually, he prefers to do the small and quiet. You know, read the story of Christ. For those of you that are in the life of Christ, you probably may have even covered this. Is As you look at the works Christ did, even amazing things, like raising the dead, turning water into wine, and all those. Usually, when at all possible, he did it in privacy. Did you ever notice that? He didn't pull the water things in front of the crowd and have it changed into wine. When I was a 12-year-old girl there, Jairus' daughter, he didn't invite everybody into the room. He actually sent them out. Interesting read that I've really enjoyed is 1 Kings 19. We have Elijah after God worked, shall we say, in a big, in a very noticeable way there with the prophets of Baal. You know, can you just imagine... I sort of love to think about it there. This sacrifice, these prophets of Baal having a big fuss, we call it here in the south, for most of the day. And then dumping water over God's sacrifice and dumping some more water over it. And then Elijah quietly kneeling there in prayer and asking God to show himself. And that fire just falling from heaven, not only burning the sacrifice, not only burning the wood, but burning the sticks. Yeah, wait, excuse me, the sticks, yes, but the rocks the water, and the dust. That was quite a fire. I've never seen a fire like that. And yet, Elijah, when Jezebel threatened his life, he runs off in the wilderness, and he's sitting there, it sort of sounds like a cave, some sort of, uh, yeah, I think it does call it a cave. And uh, God tells him to come out, and he wants to talk to him. And then we have a wind that comes that it says, It tore the mountains and broke the rocks. I think I've seen wind, but I have never seen a wind that did that. An amazing wind. But then it makes a small comment about the wind. It says God wasn't in the wind. Going on, next thing was an earthquake. How many of you experienced an earthquake? We've had some slight tremors in our area, but I think I caught one or two of them, but not a major earthquake. Um, for those that have, it's pretty scary when everything that you're used to thinking of as stable becomes unstable, and uh, you really don't know where to go. And yet, in this earthquake, it says God wasn't in the earthquake. And then we have a fire. I don't know what kind of fire it was this time. It doesn't really describe the fire and the earthquake just extensively. But again, it makes a comment that God was not in the fire. So we have these Things that are usually big, mighty, terrible. And yet God was in it. And yet the next thing was that Elijah heard, or yes, heard in this case, was a still small voice saying, What doest thou hear, Elijah? What doest thou hear, Elijah? God in a still small voice is generally still working today. You know, God is not in the business of forcing or of scaring people into seeking and serving Him. If you serve God today, it's because you choose that. We have uh, some people that wanted to be convinced that uh, 
Christ was the Son of God, and they said, show us a sign. And he said, you know, you're not going to see any sign except the sign that's already been shown. God is looking for people that want to see him at work. God is looking for people that are seeking him actively. His desire is for us to seek him. And he most reveals himself to those who are looking for him. You know, those big and spectacular things, as awesome as they seem, it seems very few people turn to God during it. Let's go back to Elijah's experience there on Mount Carmel. Did it change Ahab and Jezebel? Doesn't seem like it. Did it change Israel? I don't know. I hesitate to say that it didn't change anyone. But as a nation, it didn't really alter the trajectory of that nation. So God is looking for people that seek him in the small, in the still, in the quiet. So what is prayer? Prayer is voluntary communication with God. Nothing more, nothing less. Just voluntarily coming, taking time for God. You know, as a dad, it's so special to me when my daughters... All the things they could choose to do when they choose to come spend time with dad, it's extremely precious to me. And as you are God's son, his daughter, what he wants, what he longs for is for you to voluntarily come and spend time with him. Of course he can shake the world. Of course he can get your attention. Of course he can knock the props out from under you. But what really means the most to him is when Joe just stops his busy day and says, God, I just need some time with my daddy. What is fasting? Fasting? I'm almost afraid we think of fasting as a food thing, and that's part of it, a very small part. Fasting is the voluntary giving up of what is legitimate as an opportunity, privilege, effort to focus on something else. Choosing to make the other of greater importance. You know, by encouraging a day of prayer and fasting in Bible school, we are not one bit suggesting that food is a bad thing, are we? In fact, I'm guessing you'll see all of us eat quite a bit of food before we leave Bible school again. It's not a problem with the food, but it's trying to help each one of us realize that sometimes there's things that are more important than food. And sometimes there's things more important. We could have a whole host of fasts. I thought of listing them, but I'm not going to go there. But it's giving that up, which I could legitimately say there's nothing wrong with it, so that I can focus on something else. So why pray and why fast? A couple of my life experiences. A few years before I had met the wonderful lady that's now my wife, I had some interest in starting a courtship with someone else. And I had uh, lived my life far from perfect or far from what it should have been in some areas up to that point. And I decided I really want to do this the right way. I want to do it God's way. So I prayed and I fasted like I never had up to that time and like I have only a few times since. I sought counsel from my parents from her parents, got the blessing of both, talked to actually even talked to some church leaders. I felt like I went over and beyond and did everything. I'm not going to say perfect, but as good as I knew how. I finally got to ask her. I asked, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited some more. Fellas, if you tell you what, 
time goes slow then again if you ever want to slow time down try that one um finally i got a response that said uh I do not think God is leading me to start a courtship with you. Why pray? Why fast? Why invest all that time, that effort? It wasn't easy. Did God not hear my prayer? Should I tell you something? At the time, it didn't exactly feel like he had. But it wasn't very many years later till I knew he had. Not at all to disparage the other individual, but I am so blessed that God's plan was different than Job's plan today. And yet, I struggled. I did. Early in our marriage, after I was married now, my wife experienced, I'm not sure, I'm going to totally classify this for you, let's just say some spiritual, mental, emotional crises in her life. For some years. And I don't say that disparagingly about my wife at all. In fact, looking back, I'm quite sure it was God trying to teach Joe some things that he needed to learn. I'm just going to be so terribly stubborn. But let me tell you, young folks, the total helplessness when the one you love most and I've promised to care for in all of life is beyond your reach to help, beyond your reach to comfort. The desperation, the fear, the sleepless nights. I thought I had prayed up to that time, but I'm not sure if I ever really had prayed like I prayed at that time. And when I look back at those years, a lot of it seems like a bad dream, yet it was so very real. And one big thing I struggled with, where was God in all this? He didn't do anything big. He didn't do anything that great, if you want to say it that way. He didn't do anything that amazing. And yet, he did. He did. Slowly but surely, he gave her the ability to reach out in trust and faith. Slowly but surely, together we were able to fight that battle of what she faced. Why pray? Why fast? Why seek God? Why lay my burdens at his feet? Some time ago, I received a call from a young man that was needing, I guess the easiest way to tell you is to reset his life. And part of that reset included the need of a new place to live, a new job to work in, and also a fair number of concessions on his part in making this whole thing work. And due to the nature of the situation, the job and the home need were quite specific, which meant that it was going to be very difficult to find things that would actually fit this need. And probably even a greater issue was almost everyone involved in the situation said that this young man will not be willing to give himself 
to what would be required of him to work through these issues. Those involved didn't really know what to do, so they took it to God in prayer. I think some of them actually fasted. And God doesn't always do this, friends, but I'm going to tell you, that was probably one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, is within three days, everything took care of itself with hardly any work on the part of the organizers. God found a home. God found a job. And God helped that young man to be willing to give up the things he was struggling with. Why seek God? Here's one that I've struggled with some, and I still don't really completely see this one, but I'm still going to share it with you. Roughly 11 to 12 years ago, I don't mean this unkindly or disparaging, but um, I don't know how else to really describe the individual, is a leftover hippie slash hobo started attending our church. And he brought some of his children and grandchildren with him, especially the one grandson that he had adopted for legal reasons that the father was in legal trouble. The grandfather still hasn't, he still attends, never has joined our church. But uh, because of some things that the grandfather appreciated, in spite of our differences, the grandson became enrolled in our church school. The church, very poor people, at least in some ways, I guess, a little difficult to split all that, but uh, the church banded together to pay this boy's tuition. He completed all the grades we offer in our school. He worked, began working for one of the church brothers in construction. And we often struggled. I don't know. There was different people more involved, others less. But as leadership especially, we struggled to know how to best help this situation, this boy, this young man later on. They lived in the, the home camp situation that he lived in was terribly far from ideal. Physically, just to give you a little idea, there was issues like cleanliness, smell. Spiritually, there was a lot of darkness in the twisted relationships in that family. This boy, now a young man, had, uh, had a spiritual experience around 13 years of age and asked to join our church. We interviewed him, and while it seemed a bit difficult to maybe know exactly how much he understood and didn't understand in some things because of the whole confused situation, we did feel like there was a testimony for Christ, and uh, we went through our, what we call instruction class in our congregation and was baptized, became part of our church. There was a lot of times through this, especially through the instruction class, baptizing as he joined the church, there was a lot of times that we almost had the desperation, I hope it wasn't in the wrong way, to get that young man out of his home and family situation. And yet the family, the grandpa, were not really open to that. We couldn't make much headway, hard as we tried. Many were the prayers that were offered for this young man in his situation. Many were the days 
spent fasting and asking God to work something out for this young man. Early in the morning of June 28th, this past June, I got a call somewhere between 5.30 and 6 o'clock in the morning that there had been an accident and this young man had lost his life. 15 years old. Why pray? Why fast? Did Jesus care about that young man? Did God answer our prayers? I'm too small. I'm too little to tell you that I totally see it. But yet, by faith and by the little bit I see, I'm going to tell you I think God did answer our prayers. It wasn't the way we envisioned to get the young man out of that situation. It wasn't what we had hoped for. It wasn't the plans that we had. But yet God stepped in and had a plan. And I want to trust in that. You know, so often in life, it makes me think, I think it was Joseph, Brother Joseph's, maybe in one of his chapel messages last year, said something to the effect that serving God just looks so different from what he had envisioned. Could I ever say amen to that? Serving God, this looks so different. But it doesn't say it's not good. That doesn't say it's not right. It just says that sometimes I get my vision mixed up with God's. Do I see God working? May I tell you why I pray? May I tell you why I recommend fasting to you today? I pray, for I have a creator. I have a father. I have a savior. I have an elder brother. I have a God who cares deeply about everything I face, even though his responses and his answers sometimes baffle me. I fast because this creator, this father, this savior, this elder brother, this God delights in all those who seek him with all their heart, all their being. And fasting is one way of showing myself how much I want that Father God's involvement in my life, how much I need Him, and how much more important He is than even the very legitimate things that I can justify in this life. Fasting is one way to show myself how much I care about God's kingdom. Remember these four points. And seek to see God. Excuse me. Seek to see the way God sees things. Do your part, absolutely. I'm not suggesting we sit back and don't work. At the same time, do your part and then give God space to work. Just allow Him to do His work. You know, to you, dear friends, my dear brothers, my dear sisters, for most of you, I do not know what you're facing. I do not know what you've experienced in life up to now. I don't know what lies ahead of you. I don't know what you face in your home. 
I don't know what your family may be going through. I don't know what's happening in your church. But I do know one who does know. And today I would like to simply recommend him to you. Will you seek, excuse me, will you accept, will you seek him as the only way? Even in the night of fear and doubt, when you just don't know where to go. Will you cast all your struggles, all your cares, all your stresses, all your confusion at his feet? Not because you necessarily have this overwhelming feeling of how much he cares for you, but by faith we accept that he cares for us. And let me tell you one thing. I've struggled a lot in my life in a lot of areas. But all of it is manageable as long as I have the faith that God cares for me. When I start letting that slip, I'm in big trouble. And let me tell you one thing. I am convinced that God cares for me. And one other thing is if God can care for me, absolutely certain he can care for you. Open your song books to uh, song number 528. It's just been a song that's been going through my mind. I have a friend that's going through a very difficult time. I said something to my class to pray for him and I would just ask the rest of you just pray for my friend. That's all I'm going to tell you. This song sort of came to my mind as I thought of what he's facing. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When from my deep grief, I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Does he care? Excuse me. Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief, my struggle, whatever. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. I'd like to stand for prayer, and then I'm going to ask Neil to come up and lead us in this song, Remain Standing. Let's pray. Our dear Father, thank you for being God. Thank you for loving me. Your love is so amazing, yet so often I doubt it and I question it because it doesn't always seem and feel right to me. I'm guessing there's at least some others here, Lord, that could say the same thing. Would you send your spirit to minister to our hearts? Would you help us to accept by faith your love and your care for us? Oh, Lord, just give us strength, give us courage, give us a heart to seek you to live for you, and to just cast everything at your feet. Thank you for each one here. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.